Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy weekly podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Vallée, Associate Fellow with the GCSP Global Fellowship Initiative. For the next few weeks, I'm talking with subject matter experts to explain issues of peace, security, and international cooperation. Thanks for tuning in. This past week, we marked Earth Day, and the U.S. President Joe Biden convened a virtual summit of 40 leaders to underscore the renewed participation of the United States in international environmental and climate change negotiations. The environment is a global cause that historically has been marked both by raising awareness and concrete action. To discuss this, I'm joined today by Mr. Alexander Verbeck. As well as being an associate fellow in the GCSP Global Fellowship Initiative, he led the virtual journey in addressing challenges in global health security earlier this month. Alexander Verbeek is a Dutch environmentalist, writer, public speaker, diplomat, and former strategic policy advisor at the Netherlands Ministry of Foreign Affairs, 1992 to 2016. Over the past 30 years, he has worked on international security, humanitarian and geopolitical risk issues, and the linkage to the Earth's accelerating environmental crises. Currently, Alexander is writer-editor of The Planet, a newsletter about the threats to our environment as well as the beauty of nature. He is policy director at the Environment and Development Resource Center in Brussels and also an independent advisor on climate, security, water, food, energy, and resources for governments, businesses, think tanks, and civil society agencies. Alexander founded the Institute for Planetary Security and developed the Planetary Security Initiative, leading the team that prepared the first Planetary Security Conference in The Hague's Peace Palace in November 2015. He is a World Fellow at Yale University, has been a Fellow on or Associate at the Stockholm Environment Institute, the Stockholm International Water Institute, a Visiting Fellow at Uppsala University, and on the Board of Advisors of several international environmental initiatives. With an online following on all social media of more than 400,000, we're fortunate to have him with us despite his busy schedule. Welcome to the podcast, Alexander. Thank you. Uh, my first question to you uh, relating to, uh, indeed, this uh, activity uh, as a great communicator for all things uh, environmental, I was going to ask you if I could, you know, use uh, quotation marks around the term influencing. And we talked about this before, but I wanted to ask uh, whether influencing represents for you a new form of international advocacy for the environment? I don't think it's new. I think environmentalism has always been about about influencing. So as, as I don't know where you should start with the first environmentalist, but John Muir is, 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 is the first name that, that comes up because I wrote about it a couple of days ago. Yes. I mean, if you look at John Muir, um, we talked then about, you know, late 19th century Mm-hmm. activism to preserve the environment so you know he couldn't send out tweets but he wrote books and poems and he was he was writing to to the people in washington to to preserve nature and he actually uh well it was actually roosevelt's uh, teddy roosevelt's idea he contacted him to to actually go out there in nature together or think about let's let's say rachel carson with silent spring i mean that was still the days of you know book writing for for influencing and activism so i think the causes may that we fight for may have changed and the methodology mm-hmm. but the yeah the basic principle of that you have to influence i think that's still there and it's it's probably logical if you start by any environmental conflict it's often between those in power whether that is the politicians or often, let's say, the businesses, mm-hmm. uh, and they have the money and they have the connections and, and they, have, they have everything in place to grab from the environment 
what they want to have for their for their gain and the ones that are affected by it and the ones that want to protect nature they have less financial means and they have less uh, they're not they're not the ones in political power so they are the people that have no other option than to create a huge international campaign i think the most recent example is is is, is greta thunberg with her school strike for for climate she had no power at all two years ago she was a 16 year old schoolgirl in sweden and creates with with nothing else than than using social media and and the and the established media um, to create a worldwide uh, grassroots campaign that has been extremely effective. Well, uh, I guess yeah, the, it's uh, very interesting uh, also for me as a uh, someone with a historian's background to uh, realize, of course, the the rich history uh, that we have uh, in this notion of, of advocacy led by people in the know and people with the memes. So uh, I think that, that, that tells us a lot uh, about it. Uh, what I was wondering in, in, in my next question was whether, because we, we talked about, uh, of course, going back to examples from, from John Muir and, and, and others, uh, whether this kind of advocacy has uh, been more efficient for some environmental causes, or do we really find with uh, the uh, newest means that uh, you have been using in, in a variety of ways that it's effective for the full range of uh, environmental causes? Yeah, I, I think both has changed. So it's it's uh, the kind of causes that that we fight for have changed, and 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 the ways we do it. And I think that the trend in both is that both of them are are globalizing, are internationalizing. So when I was young, the environmental causes were always local. You know, people were worried about a local waste dump or uh, an old gas factory, or it was it was always the community got together for some environmental issue. During my lifetime, I'm not that old, I'm 55, uh, but I, I've seen the environmental issues internationalizing. First, we got acid rain in the 1980s, and that was, that was already kind of cross-border. And then in the 1990s, you got the, the hole in the ozone layer. And, yes. and, and there we needed really an international treaty with all countries in the world, the, the Montreal Protocol, to, to, mm -hmm. to stop it. And then steady, but, but, but increasingly more fast, was the rise of all the other huge global issues where, where climate change is most, uh, the most urgent and visible one, uh, maybe together with a few others, actually. So that was internationalizing. And, and so was the, the campaigning. I mean, it, it used to be, you know, local campaign of some people that wrote uh, some signatures and went to the local government. And now environmentalism is, is, using, is using the internet and is worldwide coming together to ask our leaders for better policies. Indeed, and uh, well, we're, we're uh, the same generation, so uh, uh, I think that's also uh, uh, very interesting to, to, to retrace what you're saying of this shift from, indeed, uh, I think an intensely local awareness of issues to being the experience of our lives, uh, seeing the globalizing of the issue and the necessity, of course, of a, a global response too, which I think our, our technological evolution and the, obviously, of course, the increased connection between scientific uh, institutions across the world uh, to provide these kind of uh, technical uh, yeah. Uh, technical issues. So on on the on the issues themselves, um, my third question uh, would be whether, in your view, uh, of course, uh, this last year has been very particular, and uh, 
obviously the the pandemic has uh, been the occasion of some interesting worldwide reactions uh, to uh, the situation and i think it's been universally recognized how interesting the the lockdowns were as a period in uh, which uh, people did focus on uh, environmental issues to to a great deal but also rediscovered how nature was affected by the the, the sudden halts uh, of our frenetic development race nowadays but the question uh, that stems from that is whether this pandemic shifted focus among the range of inter- of environmental issues uh, to uh, causes that we find perhaps more directly linked to the question of human health and 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 uh, environmental and public health uh, security or whether that uh, you know the focus on past priorities which you know climate change and and global warming are very exemplary are is, is that still at the forefront uh, of uh, preoccupations now is that what you see amongst uh, uh, like-minded experts and activists yeah i i think it is uh, I, I think the 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 f- uh, what the the pandemic has taught us a few lessons and and it was it was a wake up call for the whole world that you can have a global disaster that hits everyone and everything and it is it is it doesn't respect borders you know mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, a virus doesn't and nor does does the climate and it also taught us how badly prepared we are we always knew that a pandemic was going to hit us we didn't know when but we knew that the next pandemic was going to come and we we were we were badly prepared we've made a lot of mistakes i mean all of us uh, all countries there's no country that didn't make uh, make mistakes here so we've seen our our vulnerability to a tiny little virus that if you just wash your hands for 20 seconds it's dead you know it's 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 such a such a tiny thing on the other hand it may have distracted us a bit from the most urgent devastating threat that that we are facing which is uh, the, the the combined crisis of, of of climate change and 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 the loss of of nature and biodiversity and that that is so extremely urgent and and we we really need with the whole world to 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 get together and and tackle this problem and we are too slow we we've been we've been too slow slow all the time this is climate change is is not even 20th century knowledge is 19th century knowledge already in the 19th century we we knew that if you burn too many fossil fuels you you get this blanket around the planet that traps heat that comes in but doesn't go out and that's potentially dangerous and we knew already by the 1980s we knew exactly what was going on on the day that that jim hansen in in the late 80s testifying in congress we had that people's representatives of the the biggest most powerful country in the world all of them had heard what was going on from one of the best scientists in the world and since then we did nothing for 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 decades and it's only now that climate change becomes so easily visible for each and every one of us we all experience you know the hotter summers and all kinds of other problems and and only now we are taking action but but still it's still a trickle of what it should be i mean the, the latest developments are 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 quite positive but it's it, it, these are like first steps and what we also see is only the first impact of climate change we're only at the beginning we have now 1.2 degrees uh, warming um, on, on on average as atmospheric uh, warming worldwide uh, some places it's much warmer we already see the devastation that that is causing and we're we're on track now to something like 
whatever, let's say three degrees uh, at, at, at the end of this century. That is an unrecognizable world that we leave for our children. And the, the, the actions that we take and the kind of sacrifices that, w- that we're asked to make, you know, by things like, like you know, tra- transforming our economy are a completely reasonable price for what we get back to it and for for it it's 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 a better better planet for children so that's what makes me let's say an, an, an environmental activist just raising awareness for for what's going on you 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 just mentioned influencing it's 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 what i do since i since i left diplomacy i kind of was out much of of a kind of you know, business plan or something. I just started to to give my opinion about what is going on, and I first used Twitter for it, and and then increasingly I I became a public public speaker, and now with my my newsletter, uh, the Planet, uh, that has has come out daily since I since I started, that's rapidly picking up speed. It's it's it's, it's read by many many people already in in the short time of its existence, and that is just a way to to further promote. On the one hand, let's say the warnings about what's going on on the planet, but also I think the second narrative is appreciate the beauty of our planet. Because when you better realize what is at stake, you're more willing to 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 fight for it and 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 to keep it for for yourself and for the next generations. Yeah, well, that that's very true. Uh, quite quite recently, uh, I was uh, answering uh, in in some online discussion. I was. Uh, uh, having uh, because of course uh, some people who are uh, uh, at times uh, critical of our use of a powered flight uh, as of course a major cause of uh, pollution and it brought to me to mind the fact that you know w- without flight we might not never have had the photographs that the Apollo 8 crew took from the moon our first uh, image of planet Earth uh, alone inside space, and this really yeah. compelling vision that ma- made it one of the most uh, widely shown photographs of the, yeah. the time, and 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 is a, really an icon for the environmental uh, movement. So there's a contradiction in 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 that that uh, advocates and influencers uh, sometimes need to uh, to raise. Um, I was wondering whether, in your observation, uh, you've uh, identified uh, perhaps uh, what you were adding to the fact that we have been very slow to act but have have you seen any kind of progress in the uh, uh, policies of the countries in the conference of parties to, to to meeting their commitments or to improving them or do you see the trend as a continuing slowdown yeah uh, certainly well for, first back to the picture it's interesting i recently read an interview with with bill anders i think his name is the the astronaut that in, yes. in 68 um uh, took that picture he's describing that he was the only one with a color color film in the camera and that's how he saw the sunrise and uh, and how he took that picture and um, earth rise as it's uh, as it's called not the sunrise of course and um uh, so that's 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 it's a fascinating icon uh, it's, it's one of my three twitter accounts actually the smallest one most people don't know it it's called art for our planet it's about how art can raise awareness for mm-hmm. climate change that also uses um, variation on that icon but to come back to your question now I want to make one other remark, if if you if you allow me, because you spoke about flying. Yeah, flying is about two percent or something of, of of all the emissions. I have to check, but that's that's about the range. It's often mentioned as an example, and of course we should fly less. I'm 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 I'm, I'm fully on board there, but it is exactly because we have a few issues that are that we can't solve yet. Let's say transatlantic flying, mm-hmm. for instance. 
it's exactly for that but that we should have taken action earlier so that we can have a bit of residual emissions for those things that we can't solve yet making steel is another one you know it's it's uh, it's awfully difficult to use electricity to make steel for instance mm -hmm. there's a range of other issues that we can tackle and all the things from you you know just just going to electrification and 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 in transport etc there's so much low-hanging fruit so it it is um, a kind of self-inflicted pain by the environmental movement to always point at each other as soon as somebody takes a flight and the and the one that keeps laughing at 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 all this is the oil and gas industry True. that we are constantly telling each other that it's so so difficult to change because we cannot stop flying but that's only the two percent that we're looking at mm -hmm. look at the at the other 80 90 percent of all that low-hanging fruit that you can do you know and 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 that is just good government policies i mean and first of all that is stop those absurd subsidies on the fossil fuel industry because there's way more subsidies going to fossil fuel the thing that's killing all of us mm. than that there are subsidies going to renewable energy what is the solution um so we should avoid as let's say those people that are concerned about the environment to constantly hit each other in the corner on on that niche aspect of the much bigger problem however relevant that niche also may be but the real story is that we we should really transform society we should vote for leaders that really go for greening the society and that should come from the top i appreciate everything that everybody's doing at the bottom and i'm separating my waste and i've isolated my house and i have renewable energy in my house etc but the real change comes from the top and that means cutting out the absurd influence that uh, the big industries have on 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 policy making we are the people that are being represented in parliament and it's it's not the industries and those are the kind of things that we should look at but now back to your question because i'm drifting off on do i see hope do i see positive uh, momentum well right now actually there is i mean the main story is that the united states is back the united states was very instrumental in in arranging uh, the the paris agreement in in late uh, 2015 and as soon as the us had had, had, had done their good works there the, the the american people voted for a very different president mm -hmm. a president who didn't believe in science a president who um who who called climate change a chinese hoax mm -hmm. and who was promoting oil drilling and other mining activities in, in 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 national parks so for four years still the leader in the world still the most powerful country in the world was off stage was actually working on 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 the other side mm -hmm. so now that the us is back it is impressive to see what a change the us has made in it's just three months ago that 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 trump was still sitting in the white house mm -hmm. look where they are now they they organized this this leaders uh, summit on the climate i think is the name climate summit that's taking place right now the virtual summit they have kind of doubled uh, their commitment and they want to be uh, one of the leaders in the world on on climate change and uh, that 
of course, uh, there's 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 quite a bit of marketing going on from yes. from from the Biden government. Yeah. Uh, I see that too. But and and I I wrote uh, last night an article. It came out this morning, and I gave it the uh, the title: uh, "The U.S. is getting greener." Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing that that would uh, lead to to a lot of uh, a lot of comments that they are not green enough, and no, America is not green enough. You know, just just whatever. Uh, any um, any motel that I have stayed along the highways in the U.S. serves your breakfast with plastic cutler, cutlery and plastic plates, and they don't even have a kitchen uh, to 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 wash it. And I can give a thousand other examples of of the wasteful way uh, that America is 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 working, and and per capita. The emissions of of uh, the average American is like two and a half times as much as the average European. So they come from way back. They really have a lot a lot to do. And of course, they took two thousand five as as the point where they start, which they're going down with with fifty percent. I see all that. But the main story is that America is back on board to take climate change serious. This is a first step. I'm I'm hopeful that that more steps uh, will follow. Uh, America has made uh, internally as well as in their international policies climate change the pivotal issue that is influencing everything instead of some kind of niche area where you where you have to focus on and they with their power and their influence they are able to to convince other countries to 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 raise their stakes and no they're not as far as let's say the European Union is we are we're far ahead of of America but the the impact of America being back on board means also that for other countries, there's there's less places to hide, you know, by by not doing anything. It, it used to be so easy in the past four years, like, well, my country is doing nothing because America is also doing nothing and America is the biggest emitter in, 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 in history. And so now that America is back on board, you know, the, 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 the pressure rises for others. And you see already other countries announcing now higher commitments than they did before. I mean, Canada, where I, where I am at the moment, is, is one of them. They, they raise their ambition as well. Japan is another one. So these are, um, these are interesting times. It is still far too little. A lot has to happen. The race continues until uh, November this year, when when there's the the COP, uh, the conference of, um, of 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 parties of of the of the climate convention, the UNFCCC in in Glasgow, their countries really have to to raise their ambition. And yeah, you know, it's it's uh, this problem has been created in many many small steps, and we're going to to solve it also in many small steps, and I hope in many big steps. But you can't expect that within. You know, just three months time, the U.S. is ahead of whatever Iceland or or or, or Denmark or something. But so so I am optimistic from what I've seen yesterday at at Earth Day, mm-hmm. and I hope this trend will continue. Yeah, well, that that's very good. We're we're going to hope for this this momentum to continue. And maybe my my final question to you uh, would be uh, on this maybe this this optimistic note is is whether there are some emerging environmental causes that uh, we might be discovering that we can pay more attention to along with those that we've been familiar with in the past years. Yeah, well, for for a lot of people, climate change has been an emerging issue. Yeah. Other people have been aware for decades, yeah. uh, but a lot of people are only now waking up to this challenge. 
But apart from from uh, from climate change, uh, it's there's a combination of environmental challenges, and they're all interrelated. I already mentioned the the, the loss of nature, loss of biodiversity. Yeah. I mean, we live in this absurd situation on this planet that about 96 and other scientists say 97% of all the mammals on land on the planet are either humans or are domesticated animals that are there for the humans and, and, and abused in horrible ways uh, by humans. Only 3 to 4% is still real wildlife. And that is how we have destroyed nature, how we, we have taken over nature as something that uh, that works for us. And this loss of biodiversity is coming back with a revenge. I mean, the pandemic is, is maybe the best example of it. Mm. You see that when you have complex, complex ecosystems, like a rainforest, mm -hmm. and you start destroying that, what happens if, is that you, you, you force animals to live together that normally didn't meet and didn't interact. And that is the source for all kinds of new viruses. So where we are destroying complex ecosystems, you see new pandemics arise. So you have Zika in the Amazon that we are destroying. You have Ebola in, in Central Africa that where we are destroying the environment. Mm. And the biggest source of, of all kinds of pandemics and new viruses is China, where they're both destroying the environment, but also put people and any animal you can think of together on these these wet markets and i've been there it's that is this is the best source of viruses the world health organization have been warning for decades about this and also the the, the way of farming and 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 how humans and animals interact there that is we're going to get more pandemics the frequency of pandemics will increase as long as we are destroying the planet so it is uh, the crisis of, of of climate change it is the, the the crisis of biodiversity loss it is a crisis of pollution look at the oceans all the plastic in the oceans everywhere and all those microplastics are coming back in 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 the worldwide ecosystem so i i believe the the number is that uh, you and i eat now one credit card per week that's already how much plastic <laughs> yeah. we, we we are we are taking in so and 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 then there's the water crisis mm -hmm. the, the the numbers are terrible if you look at uh, if you already see at the, there's now i think three and a half billion people that live in areas that are at risk uh, to become uh, water scarce uh, the estimate is that in just nine years from now, in, in 2030, uh, that uh, displacements in the world because of water can grow up to 700 million. If you read the numbers of people, I, th I think it's like 1.4 billion people that don't have daily access to, 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 to clean water. And the water scarcity is rapidly increasing. Water is used for practically any form of energy, except for most renewable energies. But for oil and gas and coal, you need water. And because we are still increasing, and that's the bad news for climate, we're still increasing the use of fossil fuels worldwide, because you have to look at China at these things, and also quite a few other countries. You need enormous amounts of water 
to get those coal out of the ground. And then there's, of course, the, the food shortages. I mean, that's another crisis. Uh, how are we going to feed the world when the climate is getting so bad and when there's less and less water resources? So that's another challenge. And while the world popu population is growing, especially Africa will keep growing this century in at a tremendous rate. So where do we find the food for all that? So so there's an energy crisis, a food crisis, a water crisis. What else did I mention? The plastic and the oceans crisis. I mean, in the oceans, there's also the crisis of acidification because about a third or maybe 30% of, of the CO2 that we trap in the atmosphere is going into the ocean. So you get the same as what you have with a soda that you like to drink, which tastes so, so nice and fresh and acidy. Um, that is because of that CO2, those bubbles that, that are in there. But if you're a seashell and your, your whole frame is basically made from chalk, you have to realize that when you remove chalk from, from the tap in your bathroom, you use acid. So it's not very nice to swim in water. That's becoming more acid when you're made out of chalk kind of, of, of structures. And then there's the warming of the oceans. We already see now, this is the latest research, that around the equator, the fish are moving away either to the north or to the south. And the same as I described with the rainforest, you get now new kinds of predator and victim relationships because fishes are moving in each other's territory where they haven't been before. And it also has influence for the, the, the like billion people in the world that depends on the ocean for, for their food because your food is swimming away to another area now. And I could go on and on. I mean, the dying of the corals, the, the, the loss of, of, of the Arctic, the permafrost problem. So uh, yeah, new problems. Well, we're actually, we're creating them daily and, and it's, it's, we're creating them faster than, than we're solving them. Well, listen, I, I hope that, you know, this uh, great list and, call to action that uh, you've uh, given is going to be another uh, occasion uh, for you to get uh, this message across. Uh, uh, hopefully we could uh, get as many uh, listeners to the podcast as we had to followers that you have around, but uh, that's going to be about all the time we, we have for the moment. But thank you so much, uh, uh, Alexander, for uh, joining us uh, today. Uh, on thank this you all. Interview. It was a pleasure. So uh, to our listeners, uh, please listen to us again next week to uh, hear the latest insights on peace, security, and international cooperation. Don't forget that you can subscribe to us on Anchor FM, Apple iTunes. You can follow us on Spotify and on SoundCloud. I'm Dr. Paul Valet with the Geneva Center for Security Policy. And until next week, bye for now.